I wonder what you think of when you hear the word hospitality. Hospitality. Perhaps you think, if you're old enough, of Roy Keane, a, the notoriously blunt footballer and now pundit. He used to get angry about what he called the prawn sandwich brigade at Old Trafford. To Keane, they weren't real fans. They were there for corporate hospitality. They were pricing the real fans out of the stadium. Maybe you're a Wimbledon fan and you get angry seeing loads of empty seats on centre court when those being entertained by corporate hospitality are finding their lunch, their strawberries and their pims more compelling than watching the best tennis players in the world. Perhaps you've been in the Christian world long enough, the word hospitality makes you think of bad biscuits and worse coffee often for some reason served in mid-green cups and saucers with three circular lines around them. Have you seen one of those? Yes. But when I hear the word hospitality, I think of my friend Helen's incomparable chocolate chip cookies. I think of those because I remember how a really significant friendship in my life started through Helen's incomparable chocolate chip cookies. She's married to Dennis, who has now been uh, one of my best friends for about 34 years. And it was in my final year at uni, Sarah had gone, my wife had gone to do her PDCE somewhere else. I was living out of college, I was isolated and I was feeling pretty miserable. Dennis was my tutor and they just started to invite me around. And I discovered that Helen, they're both American, so they know chocolate chip cookies, Helen made, honestly, the best chocolate chip cookies I have ever tasted. But I realized I felt overwhelmed one time when I'd gone round, because I was feeling low when we were talking, Dennis and I, when I realized that Helen had started making chocolate chip cookies simply because I was there. And I could smell, the, I could smell the scent of chocolate chip cookies spreading through the flat. At that moment, I felt overwhelmed by the fact that she had simply done that for me. And it continues. Dennis was my best man. Uh, Dennis baptized Sam. He is, uh, uh, Dennis and Helen are godparents to Mims. And uh, Miriam booked Dennis to take her wedding about 10 years ago. Uh, I think it's partly because of just the excruciating embarrassment of having a vicar for a father. And it's partly because she's sat with me as I've watched Marley and me or up and she knows that I just cry very, very easily. And she's just, she wants to avoid that embarrassment in public. And Dennis and Helen's youngest child was named by their eldest too, after me. Hospitality can be an extraordinary expression of the gospel. I think that's what Paul has in mind when he tells us in Romans 12, 13 to practice hospitality. First main point, hospitality is not about reciprocity. Hospitality is not about giving to get. All of the corporate hospitality I talked about at the beginning is paid for by companies at sporting events or artistic events or in galleries. It's all paid for because they are making an investment. 
They're making an investment in future clients and future business. They want their guests to think well of them. They want them to remember their generous generosity, to take a positive view of their companies. Uh, it looks free, but it is never free. I wonder what you think of the Live uh, Golf Series. I realize I used this illustration this morning and everybody looked completely, completely clueless about it. Has anybody heard of the Live Golf Series? Okay, so I'm speaking to four of you. Why is it important? Well, it's being underwritten by the Saudi government. They're trying to change the way that they are seen across the world. After the extraordinary, shocking murder of a journalist in the Saudi embassy, they are trying to change the way they're seen. And what they're doing is they are buying up the services of some of the best golfers in the world to a, a truly obscene extent. Uh, the former world number one, Dustin Johnson, was paid $150 million to join the tour. Phil Mickelson, it was reportedly $250 million to join the tour. Tiger Woods turned down $500 million to go and play in this Saudi league. Why is it worth it to the Saudis? Because they're hoping to change the way their country is viewed by others. They're trying to create a positive association and it's destroying professional golf. But I realize only five of you here care about that. None of this is new. As Jesus points out in our passage, hospitality, even in his day, was given for similar reasons. Verse 12, if you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. Hospitality was used as a tool to build relationships, to create reciprocity. People were giving to each other to receive from each other. Distinguished guests, the places of honor, all are part of a bartering and status system in a way where the honor we give to one another is what's being traded between us. And everyone, as Jesus observes in verses 8 to 11, everyone is watching the pecking order. They're picking the most important seats on the basis of a shrewd assessment of where they rank in present company. Jesus asserts it's better to choose the lowest place because if you've chosen the worst seat and you deserve to be there, well, you've lost nothing. But if you choose the worst seat and you are then invited higher, you look great. You boost your credibility among everyone present. I guess Jesus, who has just healed a guest at the banquet, was waiting to see where he would be seated in their midst. He's aware of their hostility, their scrutiny. He's aware he's not been invited to be courted. He's there to be tested, to evaluated. He is in the witness box, really, and all of the other guests, prominent Pharisees, are there to be his judge and jury. In the eyes of many present, Jesus realizes he's guilty until proven innocent. And having healed someone before the banquet in the anteroom has probably just guaranteed his fate. Why? Because he did it on a Sabbath. Their harsh scrutiny has probably turned into outright hostility. Though he clearly deserves the place of honor, Jesus realizes there's no honor for him there. 
and he watches with detachment as all the guests are trying to work out their status and therefore where to place themselves in the room. And Jesus simply says, this is not hospitality. There is no blessing to be found from God in what's happening around that table. Hospitality isn't about giving to get. It isn't about creating reciprocity. Second, hospitality is about grace. Hospitality is about grace. <clears throat> the word we translate in Romans 12, 13 as hospitality is two Greek words put together. One is one of the words for love, often associated with friendship, is combined with the word that means stranger. Hospitality means to love the stranger as a friend. It's almost the exact opposite of xenophobia, which means to hate the stranger, means to hate that which is different or other from ourselves. In contrast, this word, phylo-xenos, can you hear the similarity? The word that means hospitality, it means to love the stranger as a friend. Now, this concern for the stranger is a consistent thread in the scriptures. It's there in the fourth commandment about the Sabbath. It requires that the foreigner residing in their towns must also keep the Sabbath. And that's not to force them to be holy. It's to make sure they can't be exploited and be forced to work while God's people are resting. Leviticus 24 talks about you are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. Why? I am the Lord your God. I'm decreeing that it must be so. You are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. Similar legal protections are given to foreigners within their gates in other, in other places. So this concern for the well-being of the stranger is part of God's intention for his people from the beginning. But hospitality goes much further than that, much further than fair treatment for the stranger. It means, as I've said, to love the stranger as a friend. So it's not about coffee or biscuits, not about giving so that we can get. It's about having a heart attitude that welcomes others as Jesus welcomes us. Hospitality is therefore about grace showing the same grace to others that God has shown to us. For let's remember, God had no reason to seek us, yet Jesus came to seek and save the lost. For God had no reason to choose to overlook our wrongdoing, given how it damages ourselves, others, and the world around us, yet Jesus came to set things right. For God had no reason to love us, yet his heart towards us is such that everything needed to welcome us home. Everything needed to give us the right to become his children. Everything needed had been done in Jesus. As Paul says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20 No matter how many promises God has made, he has kept them all in Jesus. So grace means getting what we don't deserve, including, according to the parable of the lost son, a father who runs to welcome us home. And hospitality means showing that same grace to others. 
When we understand who the Father is, when we understand what Jesus has done, when we understand God's presence with us by his Holy Spirit, surely then we should be known as some of the most hospitable people in the world. No one has more reason to be hospitable than those who love the Father. Third, hospitality is about generosity. Generosity. The world of corporate hospitality is giving to get future business. The world of corporate sponsorship is about creating positive associations for your brand by, by being seen to do the right thing. The world now is signaling virtue in all directions. But biblical hospitality is about generosity. So far from the reciprocity, so far from giving to get is biblical hospitality, that Jesus defines it as giving to those who can never repay. He says in verse 12, whenever you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends. If you know you're going to get repaid. Instead, invite those who will never be able to repay you. The poor, the broken, the lame, the blind all of whom at that time had absolutely nothing going for them economically. And trust only that God will bless you. Trust only that there will be a heavenly reward. Of course, Jesus is exaggerating to make a point. <clears throat> He's not saying never invite friends or family to dinner. But he is saying share generously with those in need. Even sharing generously of yourself and your homes as well as your possessions. Share generously to bless others and to glorify God. <clears throat> I hope you noticed how the meal changes. It's not a lunch or a dinner with your friends. It's become a banquet. That's what can be thrown in honor of those who give who give us nothing back. That's what would show the amazing generosity of the Father. That's biblical hospitality. And it's biblical hospitality that Paul expects us to practice. Hospitality to the stranger. Hospitality to those who can never repay. Hospitality to those who are broken by life. Hospitality that reflects the generous heart of the Father. So what does this mean for us today? It challenges us first to love the strangers around us. To love the strangers around us. This is honestly much harder to do in practice than in theory. The old joke is, is that I love humanity, it's just people I can't stand. The more different people are from us, in whatever way that might be, whether it's socially, culturally or racially, whether it's about politics, ethics or spirituality, the more different people are from us, the better we have to listen, the greater the humility and the empathy we have to show to be able to hear them, to be able to understand them. I wonder if we all have categories which we rule out. I wonder if we all have people who we quietly place outside God's concern. For example, to what extent can you love someone who voted for Brexit? I think it was more than 50% on a dating app said that they could not date somebody who'd voted for Brexit if they were a Remainer. 
To what extent can you love and have empathy for someone who voted for Donald Trump? How much empathy have you got for someone who supports gay marriage? Have you ever drilled down into why they think that? Have you empathy for someone who thinks that the royal family should be cast aside as an affront to democracy? The more different people are from us, the better we have to listen, the greater the humility and the empathy we have to show. If we are to able to offer them biblical hospitality, if we are to love them as a stranger, that is what Jesus' example calls us to do. Always remembering that coming to Jesus doesn't necessarily mean for them to come to be like us in every way. Revelation 21, 26 talks about the glory and honor of the nations being brought into the heavenly Jerusalem. Revelation talks about every tribe, tongue, and nation. That means that the population of heaven is going to be staggeringly diverse. So if you can't cope with diversity, why do you want to go to heaven? It's going to be staggeringly diverse. Jesus crossed every imaginable barrier to be able to love us as strangers. What barriers might we be struggling or even unwilling to cross to love the strangers around us? In what ways might we be stopping people finding Jesus amongst us? Because we lack empathy, we lack humility, we lack a willingness to hear where they're coming from. Challenge us second to welcome the stranger to welcome the stranger. Loving the stranger has to begin with welcoming the stranger. Jesus was happy to talk to anyone, even to his greatest opponents. Although I have to say to his greatest opponents, he never backed down. But Jesus was happy to talk to anyone, even to cross strict boundaries and to talk to a woman of a different ethnicity by a well. A woman, let's remember, with enough past for quite a number of Bridgerton novels. The Windrush scandal, I think, is one of the greatest scandals of the 20th century. In this sense, when people came from the Caribbean and other places across the Commonwealth and they came to help rebuild the nation after the Second World War, we did not welcome them. Even more shamefully, the white church did not welcome them. Of course, there are shining examples, exceptions, but generally the white church did not make space for the black uh, Christians coming from the Caribbean particularly. They were too different for, from us. We didn't welcome the stranger. One of the reasons why there are so many black-led churches in the country, often um, some, of the, some of the churches that are growing most strongly in our nation, the reason there are so many black-led churches is because black Christians came to this country and we did not make them welcome. 
particularly within the Church of England. I remember meeting someone in Edgware. I mean, Edgware, the church we had the privilege to lead in Edgware was more than 50% black by the time we left. But I remember listening to somebody we called Irene who told me about her experiences during the Windrush. And her name was Isilda. But no English person would call her Isilda because it was a strange name. So she just picked an English name and lived by it for decades. She hadn't been heard, hadn't been welcomed. Biblical hospitality calls for us to welcome the stranger. Not to force the stranger to become like us, but to welcome the stranger so that they can meet Jesus. It calls for us, therefore, to be open to those around us, even if they are very different from us, and calls for us to make room for them in our lives. That's one reason why we want to reintroduce coffee, so that we can do more to welcome those who are new and build relationships across the church. Coffee doesn't go a great distance, but it does help. It's also great to be creating spaces in new or existing small groups so that we can create places for people to belong, so that we can go from welcome to inclusion, so that we can grow together. All of these are part of welcoming the stranger. And honestly, brothers and sisters, it's an area where we need to do some growing. How might God be inviting all of us to play our part in welcoming the stranger here at Highfield? And it challenges us third to open the house. The image in verse 11 is a lavish lavish one. Opening the house for a banquet. To love the stranger, to bless the poor and the broken, to open the house for a banquet. I hope you heard a few years ago about James Topping's uh, initiative. Uh, He and his family came and hosted a Christmas meal here several years ago on Christmas Day. He he and a team cooked a pretty lavish Christmas lunch. I'm sure that Ben and Becky were involved as well. And it was served in the centre lounge next door. And many known to the church in all different kinds of ways who who were going to be spending the day alone were invited along. A couple of years ago, at the height of COVID, we couldn't do it like that, so uh, Ben and Becky introduced a a kind of um, takeaway system where we took uh, Christmas lunch to people, particularly students who were marooned in houses within uh, within Southampton uh, by the pandemic. It was a sign, I think, of what biblical hospitality can be, opening the house to love the stranger, to bless the poor and the broken. The university loved it. They wanted, they wanted to know how many, how many thousands we could do, do it for the next year. I have loved watching what Tim, uh, Tim Dalby has been doing with the team over the last year to distribute food to students working with an organization called The Big Difference, who were collecting food that's about to be thrown away by supermarkets and bakers like Greg's. Tim and the student team were collecting food and allowing students to come and collect it. The Instagram feed to our student ministry grew to how many, Tim? Just over 800. 800. 
800 followers on Instagram, drawn, yes, of course, by the offer of free food, but also drawn some towards a relationship with us. The Living Room, an initiative running for students before this service during term time, has cooked and shared a Sunday meal with students throughout last year, and that biblical hospitality has led people directly to coming to faith. We trialled in May and June, bringing that food hub into church and supporting it with a cafe space for students to come and use during the exam season. There were always students using it. I think on some days up to 90% of whom had no relationship with us. And again, we have seen someone come to faith directly through that initiative. And in all of these ways, we have been offering biblical hospitality. In all of these ways, we have been opening the house. And in October, we're planning to go further. We're planning to build on our partnership with The Big Difference and start to offer the Food Hub not just to students, but also directly to our neighbours. We're planning to run a cafe for at least four days a week over two sessions a day. We're hoping to get to the point where we can offer counselling through this church and healing prayer as well as a dedicated prayer space. We want to open the house. For so many years, Highfield Church has been a building that people walk past every day. It has been a landmark, but we want to turn it into a destination by opening the house, by practising biblical hospitality. So please pray. It is a big change. It's a big change to how we see church and how we do church, and there is lots to sort out. But if you'd like to be part of a team helping to practice hospitality, please let me know. I think there's also a sign-up form on the e-news from this week. In doing this, we are trying to be obedient. We believe that the Lord has challenged us to open up the house for hospitality and for healing, promising that he would meet us and bless us as we do so. We're seeking to respond to that call. There will be bumps along the way, but we're seeking to step out in obedience. It's also just worth saying that from Tuesday onwards during the week, there will be a prayer meeting from 9 to 9.30. We're trying to establish the basis uh, for campus mission and for biblical hospitality for open house in prayer. We're trying to establish that from this coming Tuesday. So biblical hospitality is about much more than biscuits and coffee, although I would want to add it is, it is definitely about the incomparable uh, chocolate chip cookies that Helen served, which is the recipe our family used to this day. It's about loving the stranger, however different they are from us, welcoming, welcoming them in the name of the Father, the Father who runs to welcome us home. The greater the difference, the better our listening has to be. The greater our humility to hear and the empathy to recognize what's on their hearts. Biblical hospitality is about grace, offering the same grace to others that Jesus has offered to us. And biblical hospitality is about generosity, giving to those who may well never be able to repay, showing the generosity of our Father's heart, to the world he loves. Will you join us in opening the house? 
If you're a student, will you join us in being part of living room? Will you join us in welcoming the stranger? Will you join us in loving the strangers who may come? Even if they are so different from you, you struggle to find any kind of common ground. Even if they are as different to you as the woman at the well was from Jesus. Will we show the same love to others as the Father who runs has shown us in Christ? Thank you.